I'm Max Porterfield, President and CEO of Calinex Mines. We're based in precious metals explorer and developer focused in Canadian mining jurisdictions in Canada, most notably with a very, very high grade copper, gold, silver, and zinc rainbow deposit that's being delineated now after discovery in 2020. Max, good to see you again, buddy. Um, we haven't seen you since December when our uh, tech team had a, had a chat with you and came a little bit excited about what you're doing. And I, I think you kind of delivered. The headline I just saw, nine meters, that was at 12.53% copper. That's insane. Not even you could have thought that was coming through. No, no, no. Like obviously when we saw that, uh, those results uh, from the lab, it was it was beautiful. You couldn't really ask much more than that. I mean, uh, uh, those holes in particular are very, very exciting other than they're very, very high grade, but they're actually a higher grade and wider than a lot of the holes that we've hit in the rainbow already. So as we delineate rainbow, which is, you know, an ongoing process leading up to a main resource later this year, we continue to be surprised. In addition to just those headline numbers that we put out, we actually delineated rainbow within hundred meters of surface too. So keep in mind, rainbow was discovered at 900 meters vertical depth. And today comes within 100 meters vertical depth. So it's much closer to surface, which leads to much lower development costs and timelines. I want, I, and, I, and I want to talk about that, but I, I want to kind of set the scene because we're seeing a lot of people coming in from other sectors, other investors coming in from other sectors, not quite understanding the, the context of um, these numbers that companies keep talking about, right? So the supply demand situation is important for people to understand. So the more experienced investors, bear with us. We're gonna we're gonna do a little bit a little bit of education here for for, for the non-experienced, which is what's happening out there. We're, we're looking at the kind of Ukraine Russia situation. There's sanctions. There's a potential in you know, a cutoff of uh, commodities. Uh, you know, obviously uh, you know nickel, oil, gas, etc. But what's happening in the world of copper? Well, it's very very tight supply. It's tight supply. I mean, you can talk about inflation all you want, but at the end of the day, it's a supply side situation in copper uh, and, and basically the base metals in general. It's a very, very tight supply. You have less than five days supply out there right now. And that goes back to a lack of investment in exploration and development of new mines over the past 10 to 20 years. Uh, so people don't realize that in the copper space from a discovery hole to production on average is seven years. Uh, so you can't just readily turn on supply immediately. And, and that's what things you're seeing right now is you're not getting a supply response. So the only s solution to that is higher prices, which we're starting to see certainly in the copper space hitting all-time highs. But I really, truly believe this is just the beginning. I mean, look at what a supply disruption can do. Uh, for example, in the nickel space, where you had nickel trading around, what, $20,000 a ton at the start of this year. And I think we just uh, hit $100,000 a ton more recently. Now, certainly that'll come back off I mean, because that was a parabolic move. But that can show you what a supply disruption in a very, very tight market can do in the metal space. Uh, and, and again, that's a, a huge win for investors that are positioned to that. So there's a, there's a couple of things here. There's um, obviously jurisdictional risk. I mean, I think that's sort of a heightened uh, awareness, but given what's happening with the Russia-Ukraine situation, right? Um, and also, you know, you know, the fact that we, we saw a little bit of it last year, South America with various elections going on. Copper, traditionally, uh, Chile, Peru, the big country, big producers there. Um, is has that, has that position resolved itself? Are we seeing uh, production happening at, at the same rates they always have done? No, I mean, the, uh, in terms of production profile, production really peaked in the copper space around 2016, 2017. A lot of times in oil, they talk about peak oil. And then when your production peaks, we've had production really peak in the copper space, you know, five, six, seven years ago at this point, and you haven't had new supply come online. In fact, as you mentioned, Chile, Chile produces 25% of the world's copper today. 
in January numbers showed it was the lowest production levels out of Chile in over a decade. So that was due to poor uh, grades and quality of ore. And that's something that's also been across the board in all metals has been declining grades across the industry. The average grade of copper that's produced on a, a global basis is half a percent copper. That's average. So that's actually going to be brought down by these large poor free deposits in Peru, in Chile, that are going to be, again, not the cleanest source of metals, certainly. Um, but, you know, again, if you look at the, the grades, half percent copper is not a lot. If you just think of a sugar cube, breaking up a really tiny corner of that sugar cube is all you get out of processing a full sugar cube in terms of copper out of it, if that was your, your, your ore. Um, and, you know, we're on to obviously the high grades is really going to stand out on a global basis because truly uh, to meet the needs of the world in a sustainable and environmentally friendable, uh, favorable way, you need high grade material and a clear power generation source. What's happening in the U.S.? Because I think U.S. are talking a big game on the EV demand side, but not necessarily liking the development of mines, it seems. Yeah, no, it's the same thing. The U.S. has traditionally looked at, uh, and you could say the U.S. has you know, entered a lot of wars to that end, on oil, not in my backyard mindset. You know, let's totally ignore the fact that West Texas Intermediate, WTI, which global oil prices are priced on, is from, uh, you know, oil produced out of a, a town, Odessa, Texas, West Texas, where I actually was born. Uh, so with that, the same things in the metal space. You know, you have the Biden administration want to have this big, big push for EVs and also the removal of small combustion uh, it, motors that can also be even more uh, environmentally uh, dangerous or, or um, pollutant than, a, than a, a vehicle for that in. And they want to replace that by batteries, right? But then in terms of the sourcing of that, they don't want any of that supply, uh, the, the batteries, uh, the, sorry, the metals to be sourced from the United States domestically. So they're planning on importing all that, or importing all that material, raw material. And then they want the U.S. to be the uh, more technologically advanced, I'd like to, to call it, to really add the value uh, further down the supply chain from raw material into the batteries, into the electric vehicles. But with everything going on around the world, how wise is that decision really? And how long is that decision going to really hold true? And aside from all that, where are they going to go? And they're going to go to the closest nations and Canada being a resource-centric nation, a lot of the technology, the skill set, and of course, the mineral endowment, uh, like Rainbow and a lot of other deposits that sit in Canada are going to be there to meet that need. So again, you can't, if you're not going to mine it yourself, you're going to have to look for it somewhere else. And I think the world's getting much, much smaller and finite in terms of where you can go for a sustainable supply for these metals. Okay, so we're saying we need all of the above. We need all the copper mines to produce um, because you know, the demand numbers show we need more copper than is actually being mined um, today. So it, it's um, we're all on the same team here. Let's talk about you and your ability to do business up in uh, Canada, like Manitoba, Flint, Flint, obviously where, they, where the, these high-grade results uh, are, um, t are talking about. Um, what, what's, go what's going on there at the moment? Obviously, you've, you've done some drilling, you're waiting, you're, there's some you know, assays, how are taking a little bit longer. But in terms of your ability to do business in, in, in country, I just want to have an honest conversation about jurisdictional risk because we've, we've talked about US, Chile, Peru. We've, we see what's happening elsewhere in the world. What, what's going on in Canada? Well, we're really fortunate that we're an operator in Canada. We've been uh, operating in Canada for a very long period of time. The, the company actually dates back to 1927. Uh, with the presence in northern Manitoba in some form or another. So I'm just really continuing that as leader of Calinex 
for the current generation of the presence in Manitoba. Uh, Manitoba is home to, you know, the Flin Flon camp is home to 32 mines, and I like to say counting. Uh, and so, again, you have that, that geologic pedigree that I talked about, the endowment that hosts those metal, uh, mineral deposits in this mature mining camp. And with that, that's brought all the infrastructure in place. We have a mill, a zinc plant. You've got the community that's, you know, all they know is mining. So they're not too worried about it being in their backyard because their backyard is a mine today. So in terms of operating, it's a, it's a favorable jurisdiction to operate in. We're able to get our drill permits very, very quickly. And in fact, the government of Manitoba granted Kalanix a $300,000 grant on the, one of the first discovery holes into Rainbow for the potential for Rainbow to be the next uh, kind of key operator for that community of Flint Flon. Because you also have to keep in mind, Flint Flon's 777 mine or Hud Bay 777 mine that's located in Flint Flon is actually shutting down in May of this year. So what we're looking to do is continue to delineate Rainbow with the few holes that we need to, and then be able to publish a, a main resource on Rainbow an historic pine bay deposit that sits in proximity to Rainbow later this year, you know, I, and some could argue just the right perfect time. So, so, so um, you're, you're aiming for the resource. I mean, um, so, and what, what are you going to be able to include in that in terms of the, the job? Because you talked about, you've talked to me in the past about the, um, the assays being a little bit late coming back. Are you going to be able to get everything in there that you want? Yeah. So, one of the beauties, though, of, uh, of, being a VMS uh, explorer, VMS is a deposit style that, of course, that hosts this high-grade copper, is that it's not like a gold uh, deposit. So when you're drilling for gold, you, you can't, you've got to do a lot of uh, sampling, much more sampling when you're in a, drilling a gold program. Whereas when you're drilling a, a massive sulfide program, we can put, put in much fewer samples because, again, they're lenzoidal. They've got a, a small width. Uh, and so in terms of turnaround times, where they have been lengthy, uh, we're able to get a lot of artists done a lot more quickly in the sense that we don't have the huge amount of volume that goes into the assay laboratory. And in terms of the drilling, when we talked in December, things have slowed down. They've gotten, they have improved candidly. So that's positive to see because turnarounds got up to four months. Um, and so, you know, we had turnaround times have improved. We have lower volume. And in terms of assay results, you're only going to need about another half dozen holes into rainbow this year to be able to publish that maiden resource. So, Again, um, you know, I don't think we're going to be too encumbered by some of the delays that we've had last year. When we last talked last year, we had put out, uh, we had about 18,000 meters of, of assays pending. Uh, today, we have maybe 4,000 meters more of pending assays uh, just a couple months later. So again, we've gotten a lot of those results back that obviously be included, like the assays we put out last, uh, last week will be included in, um, in the updated, the, the maiden resource for Rainbow. Right. Okay. And have you got an idea in your head about, you know, what that needs to show? Because obviously main resource is quite important. Again, it's indicative to people of what the potential is and, and, you know, how you're going to, how you're going to progress, how quickly you're going to progress the project. So is there a number in mind? Yeah. In terms of size, I mean, we want to obviously be able to show size of a, of a mineable deposit. And if you look at Flint Flon's history, there's old 80 20 adage 20% of the mines have produced 80% uh, of the material. So of the 29 mines that have fed directly into the town of Flint Flon and that infrastructure, three of those mines were over 10 million tons. Everything else was sub 10 million tons, just kind of put into context. If you look at the last most recent operator, or sorry, mine that a deposit that went into production in Manitoba in Flint Flon, that was the Reed Lake mine. And Reed Lake was roughly 2.3 to 2.4 million tons. And that was 130 kilometers away and didn't have the same kind of infrastructure. 
So again, we want to put out a maiden resource, probably you know, closer to a 5 million ton mark on a global basis to show, hey, this is a sizable resource that's got the, the metal content. Obviously, you need to do more work on it, uh, economic studies, what have you, but it has the potential to be the next operator for Flin Flon. And we really believe that we can achieve that based upon the drilling to date. And this is just a start, so you got to keep in mind uh, for scale and context, when my, my mentor and founder of Kalinex uh, discovered the Trout Lake mine, he discovered a mine in the late 1970s when the original Flin Flon mine was shutting down. He originally drilled that out to 3 million tons and then did a deal with HUD Bay at the time uh, on, that, on that deposit to take it into production and save the town. And ultimately, it was a 21 million tonner. So when we say maiden resource, you've got to keep in mind, this is a resource that was really been delineated over the past 12 months. When we started drilling Rainbow last year in 2021, we only had three holes into that discovery. Since that time, we've now drilled a total of 40,000 meters nearly of drilling at Pine Bay. And uh, you know, 90% of that has gone into to delineating Rainbow. Uh, so again, it's gone from a discovery to a bonafide deposit. Now we want to show in, uh, materially what's the size of that deposit moving forward. Right. So, and, and I want to stay focused on it because obviously we can we talk about New, New Brunswick and Newfoundland in a, in, in a minute. But how does this thing move forward? So, okay, maiden resource, great. So uh, timing is what? What did you say? You said we're looking to the maiden resource later this year. So we, we've got to again drill another half dozen holes, get that back. We've already retained the resource modeler. Uh, he's working on it right now. Uh, so there'll be short turnaround once we get the other, you know, half a dozen holes that we need to drill, drill them to the deposit, and then uh, assays returned on them. So you, uh, you're saying second half of this year? Yeah, I mean, if we can make it before the end of Q2 is the goal. Uh, if not in Q2, it'd be early Q3. Okay, so pretty, pretty soon. Like I said, you've not been at this long, and I'm just sort of interested by the kind of accelerated time frame. Um, does that give? Are you setting the tone for how quickly you want to move through the following process? Like you say, you've got to get you've got to get into the PEA and, and studies after that, and and you've told us what the end end game is in terms of a a, a number that you'd like to get to. So, um, are you is that is, is that has the tone been set there in terms of how quickly you want to you know get there? Yeah, well, I didn't even mention to you that we also want to make another discovery in 2022. So while we have Rainbow, and Rainbow is what it is, the ability to hit another discovery would just double that. You know, I think instantly in people's minds when they're able to see what Rainbow is, and then if you can deliver another discovery in tandem to that, immediately they can already see that, well, this is probably going to be the size of Rainbow or somewhere close. Uh, and so that's really one of the key focuses of 2022, aside from delineating, putting a main resource in Rainbow, and to continue to uh, drill rainbow at depth, it's to use the exploration approach that led to the discovery of rainbow, as well as the refined knowledge that we have on the property after doing another 40,000 meters of drilling since discovering rainbow and expanding that on a district scale land package. And that we, we've shown that through some of the targets that we announced just a couple of weeks ago, and as well as some uh, announcements we have in the near future, uh, some exploration drilling that we did at the end of the last year that we're you know, quite excited about along the growth fault corridor that hosts Rainbow and five other deposits. So we believe there's more deposits to be found on the land package, and we're utilizing the new technology, new approach. You got to keep in mind, when we made the discovery of Rainbow, we were able to do that very, very cost-effectively with just a half million dollars. But, but, uh, but, but disco discoveries, discoveries are few and far between, right? They're, they're companies, you know, Quite a few companies don't make discoveries, right? So, you know, you, the fact you spent half a million finding that one, that, that, that could have been... 
luck or or, or, or other things, right? So yeah, there's no guarantees about finding discoveries in, in, in the future, but I'm, I'm interested in the in the program that you are going to set out, which is going to increase the chances or likelihood of success in that, and what that's going to cost you, and you know, and how you lay that out for you know your shareholders. So in terms of what we're planning on is roughly conservatively a, a fifteen thousand meter campaign that will deliver a maiden resource at Rainbow and at Pine Bay, and then in tandem we'll test at least five different target areas that we've identified. Now, these target areas that we've identified, while you can look at, you know, Pine Bay and you can look at Rainbow, for example, you know, people have been exploring for a mine at, at Pine Bay a century. And that's not an exaggeration. You know, the, the geology had really always enticed people to come out there and explore. Well, what we did is we changed our mindset and we used chargeability uh, in particular, but we used IP as a technology as a non-direct vectoring approach. And that's how we were successful in finding Rainbow. And so what we've done is we've expanded that technology across a much larger land package along the trend that hosts Rainbow, another deposit called Sourdough, and then a past producing mine called Centennial with this new technology, which will further refine and I think improve our, our targeting um, based upon the success we've had at Rainbow. So that's what we're looking to do is test these targets that have been identified using the same technology that was used to discover Rainbow and then also uh, to some other targets that we feel is a very high priority based upon geology uh, along this growth fault, as I mentioned, uh, because you know everything in the world really happens in patterns. And when you have the ability to recognize those patterns, uh, especially in a, in a geologic environment, that can really unlock value because you know it's a system, and where you are within that system is very very key. If you look at flintflon, for example, as an analogy, flintflon is controlled by a growth fault. And the, the main deposits there, the Flin Flon deposit sits within 400 meters of the base of that growth fault in proximity to where that growth fault occurs. And if you look on the top of the Calinan 777 mine, which are you know, two mines, the 777 is the one shutting down, that's just about two and a half kilometers from the base of that growth fault. Well, Pine Bay has the same growth fault, uh, not the same one, but it, it's controlled by a growth fault. And the thing is there is that the previous exploration mindset was really focused to some specific geology map that surface, not really taking into account in terms of where are you exploring within broader context in that growth fault. And so when you realize that, you go, well, maybe we should go to the base of the growth fault at Pine Bay that hosts five, sorry, six other deposits, including Rainbow. And that's what we're, we're, we're doing is again, using the methodology, a methodology of, of an analogy at Flintlawn in using that and importing it over to Pine Bay as well. So it's a lot of knowledge base and understanding that you don't get by walking up to the property immediately without spending a lot of time there. And that's the benefit that we've had is we've been exploring Pine Bay longer than anybody else has explored Pine Bay, which is what led to the discovery of Rainbow. Okay, if, you, if I look at, th thank you for that. Um, you, you, you're gonna, I, I guess, you know, um, you, you'll let us know what what that's going to cost, and you know what the money situation is. Um, I, I, I'm sure in due course with regards to the the job program. But if I if I come back to the company you mentioned earlier, which was the getting of this grant from the Manitoba Mining Department, was it the Manitoba Mining Department? Is that right? Of three hundred thousand dollars. Well, the, the Manitoba government 
uh, set up a specific fund and the fund was uh, situated uh, so or structured so that it was focused on making investments into projects or companies that have an ability or potential to extend the life of mine or life of infrastructure in these communities, in these remote northern communities. In Flinflon's case, the town's been mining there for 100 years. And they have a 5,000 ton per day uh, mill. They have a zinc plant there. And obviously the, the, the whole community is 5,500 people that live in Flinflon. They're miners. And so with the 777 mine shutting down uh, in May of this year, so we're just about two months away from shutdown at 777, the government was looking uh, for a way to incentivize and reward in many ways and support any projects out there that can deliver potentially long-term job growth uh, for that infrastructure, for that community, importantly, and leverage the existing infrastructure there, right? And that's what Rainbow set out to do. That was our mandate and goal that we've had for ourselves since I joined the company in 2014, was to discover the next main flagship mine for Flinflon with the understanding that the 777 mine was going to shut down. Now, when we started this process in 2014, it was not even announced yet that 777 was going to be end of life yet. And so now we fast forward to the present time. Obviously, we've hit Rainbow at a perfect time. We're going to be publishing a maiden resource on Rainbow at a perfect time. But long story short, that's why, or that's the structure of the fund, and that's what the fund's based on doing, is really supporting uh, any products that have the ability to, to drive long-term job creation where you're having job losses because of these uh, end of, end of uh, mine life for the 777 and other, other projects in northern Manitoba. So what did you what did you do with the three hundred gram? Because obviously, well, what put are you what are you allowed to do with it? You put it in the ground. Okay, you're allowed to do drilling with it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, the, the 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 it's a grant, uh, the three hundred thousand. So you know that went pretty quick because got the cut the money and put it in the ground. Uh, like all of the money that we have, or a large portion of the money we have, obviously of GNA, uh, but but that went directly in the ground to to drilling out Rainbow. Is there more money? Is there more money? Well, I'm always looking for more money. Uh, certainly that particular fund was capped at $300,000. Uh, so I think that we'll be revisiting that conversation in the not too distant future with the, the policymakers, given not only what Rainbow has grown to become, right? And they can see what we, we put $300,000 in this discovery when it had two holes into it and look at it today. And, you know, I think anytime a policymaker can really point to success on uh, any kind of investments that they make, they're gonna wanna tooth their own horn to that. And with the 777 mine now shutting down in just a couple of months and Rainbow being able to go to a maiden resource, I do think there's an opportunity to work with policymakers and maybe they can loosen their purse strings a bit, uh, old saying there, and, and help us out a, a little bit more. Because again, when your interests are in line with interests of the greater good, I think amazing things can happen. You're gonna get a lot of support from that. And that's just a, a an example of some of the support that we received from the Manitoba government, but not all the support. And there's going to be much more support as we continue to hit our milestones and that community gets closer and closer to needing much more help to really underpin the long-term viability of the community, frankly. Okay. So that obviously rainbow deposit is um expanding to surface and at depth and it's and the grades are great so it, it it's a it's a great story you've also got these two other projects in the in the background this is for the benefit of people who are new to the story um over in new brunswick and 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 over in newfoundland um in this environment in this you know high commodity price environment 
and the fact that you are starting to understand what what you've got um, going on over in Manitoba. Do you keep those uh, assets? Do you flip them out? Do you JV them? Do you, what, what, how, how do you how do you manage them? Well, we, we're, we're keeping our options open, but I certainly think that monetizing them in one form or another is going to be advantageous to our shareholder base. And that's certainly a thing. Uh, always been a long-term uh, kind of vision for us was going out and you know growing the company in various ways. You can grow the company through the drill bit. And in other ways, you can grow the company through acquisition and then continuing to add value to the drill bit, which is the case uh, in particular for the, the projects in, in the Bathurst. I mean, if you look at the net present value, uh, based on the 2018 PA that we published on our portfolio of uh, products in, in the Bathurst district of New Brunswick, I mean, you're looking north of a $275 million to $300 million NPV uh, today, uh, based upon the metal price today. So again, that shows the optionality that's inherent within the portfolio by having a, a deeper pipeline of projects uh, outside of just Rainbow. I mean, a lot of people might have called into question, why are we going to Pine Bay? and exploring their earlier stage when you didn't have a, a, a sizable resource to start with um, when we had Nash Creek in Point Leamington. And now, obviously, Rainbow and what Rainbow's become, we don't get that question so often. Uh, so certainly, they're very, very valuable assets. I think we can monetize them and create value for our shareholders in more ways than one. Uh, and it's really about, you know, as we go into this deeper into the super cycle that we're in the midst of for commodities, and how unique these assets are because they're Canadian-based proximity and infrastructure. So if you need an asset or you're looking for a project that can be advanced very, very quickly, you're going to want to be stable jurisdiction, proximity infrastructure. And in that case, we have, have all of that in both Bathurst as well as in, in Newfoundland. So, with, but, but with, okay. So there's there's a thought or option on the table, which is to say we, we could monetize those and get focused over in Manitoba, right? So any sense of timing on that one? Have you Are you in discussions or is it too early to talk about? Well, I would say, listen, if you're a guy like me that spent seven years looking for uh, the discovery to make the discovery of Rainbow and it, it took, it took a, quite a long period of time, I'm also just patient when I'm looking to play out the cycle. So I, again, if I'd rushed to do a deal when you had the first bid, um, you know, I would have done a deal a long time ago. But, you know, I'm a guy that looks to, buy things at um, great valuations, great terms. I and mean, we bought all those assets sub 70 cent zinc. When we bought all those assets, the whole world thought that Glencore was going to go bankrupt. Uh, and that couldn't have been farther from the truth. And so now when you're sitting with a $1.80 zinc price environment, your optionality and your value of your asset has grown dramatically. And um, you know those conversations are beginning to start, but at the same time, I'm not looking to, to jump and make him move immediately at the you know first person. I don't think you marry the first person you date. Very rarely that's the case. Uh, and the same goes when you're looking to either partner, spin out, or divest of an asset. I, I take the same approach. Uh, maybe that's why I'm I'm still single today. But um, that was a, a bad joke. But anyways, no. Why I say that is, is it's we're just patient with the process. And you know, as the longer we go through this bull market, and the more and more opportunities are going to be coming to us. And um, we're certainly looking to spin that out, divest it to create a lot of value for our shoulders at, at, at the right time. And I think that's the most critical part. You can do everything in the world that you want to accomplish, but when you have timing on your side, it's the most critical point of all that. You know, if you look at, at Pine Bay, had we hit rainbow in, in 2014, 2015, you could argue that's too, too early because, you know, there wouldn't have an immediate need for that. 
you wouldn't be in the backdrop of the environment that we're in right now. Um, so, you know, it taking as long as it did, obviously it was a lot of work and a lot of patience involved, but it actually happened just at just the right time. So you, you, the shareholding, um, so the, the share register is pretty tight, th 13 and a half million shares outstanding. Um, you, the, the, the kind of mix between, um, of shareholders is, is, what about just over 40% retail, um, 30, just over 30% institutional and the rest held by management and, well, I guess friends and family. Uh, are you, I mean, what's, what's the, what's, what's your market cap today? I'm just sort of looking at that. So 40, 45 to 50, 45 million, uh, bucks at the moment. How do you, how do you start attracting the kind of investors that you, 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 you may want when you need to go out and raise a ton of money? If, um, once the maiden resources come out, you're going to have to kind of accelerate through the, the phases, as you say. So who, what sort of conversations are you having at the moment? Who with? Uh, we're having very, very good conversations right now. I think that, um, I had a big shift in my own mindset. I was in my own career. I was so focused on chasing, chasing, chasing. Uh, and while I do follow up, I mean, that's part of, you know, attracting capital is you obviously have to follow up. Um, when you also look to attract capital and allow capital come to you, um, that also works just as well, particularly when you have something that's so unique in terms of the portfolio being in Canada, proximity jurisdictions, the stage of different assets, and then having one of the highest grade copper discoveries in the world. Uh, so to that end, we have had been in touch with a number of, uh, different groups over the years. And so, you know, I'm not a type of guy that's met you today and asked you for a dollar five minutes later. Um, so, you know, we, we've always taken a very long game approach to the business and the strategizing the business. We wouldn't have stuck with Manitoba for, you know, six, seven years before making the discovery of Rainbow. Uh, and the same goes with building the relationships for capital requirements. I mean, we've got a, a very, very strong Rolodex of current shareholders. And we're also looking to always grow that uh, with stronger and stronger shareholders uh, that can add value in more ways than one because you can bring capital uh, and that's one thing. And I think we've talked about it before. You can have you know capital that can help you and then there's capital that can hurt you, just like water. You can have clean water, drink it makes you sick. You know, water obviously is, you need to sustain life. Uh, the same thing is with ca capital. I mean, you take the money from uh, maybe some nefarious characters and this business is not going to work out so well for you. And we've been really focused on, you know, making sure that the role of the registry of the current shareholder base, as well as the people that we're suiting in the future for bigger capital requirement needs are really aligned to that, to that need and to that kind of uh, mindset. So with that being said, we've had all, all suitors from conglomerates uh, to some, some significant majors showed interest in it. Uh, and then also the more traditional uh, investment banking route as well. Okay, well, like, Max, like, I appreciate the update today. I did want to get a hold of you because, like I said, the, the, the grades are, you know, world, world class. Um, I'm even more intrigued by what the maiden resource could look like. So we're looking at so end of Q2, beginning of Q3 as the kind of the next moment um, to um, be aware of, yeah? Well, we're also going to be we're going to be drilling some targets. So don't ever hold this act. I know that discoveries are few and far between, uh, but like I said, I'm looking to make and we're looking to make as a team another discovery in 2022. Um, and I know that they're few and far between, but if you don't have the mindset that you're going to make a discovery, I'm going to tell you straight away you're never going to make a discovery. So I know that can be off-putting to someone. Well, I mean, the guy thinks he's going to make another one. They just made this one. It took a while, long time. 
Um, but we would never have made the discovery of rainbow if we didn't think we we're going to make the discovery of rainbow. And I have more confidence now than ever really before that, you know, we're going to make another discovery based upon, you know, how refined the data sets are and the success that we've already had with making rainbow are really key to that. 